Thank you, Pastor Jonathan, for leading us today in worship, and thank you, Pillar Community, for the opportunity to preach today. It is a great honor and privilege to do so, and uh, Ann and I have made our home here for about five years now, and we are so grateful for how we have been welcomed and embraced and found community. And so if you're new here today, I hope that you also will uh, experience what we have experienced at the Pillar and the Pillar Life of Pillar Church together. I also want to thank you on behalf of all of the missionaries that you support globally. Pillar does so much in our community, but also through Christian Reformed Church in North America and Reformed Church Global Missions. My daughter is one of them. I say thank you on Nicole's behalf for your support. And uh, Juan Wagenfeld and I serve in organizations that serve Christ around the world. We're so grateful for your love for us. And at Words of Hope, uh, we have received a wonderful offering and gift, not just as a part of the regular gifts of Pillar, but last fall you received a special gift for our work with bringing seminary-level theological education to Iranian people, people who speak the Farsi language. And um, I met with a handful of them recently. Last month, I was in a safe third country with some of them, and they're so excited to begin. Now, the project is about six to eight months behind schedule. Um, it turns out when you translate theological books, it's a little more complicated than going through Google Translate. And um, so that part has taken us a little longer. But the digital set is in place. You can see that on the screen right now. This is the digital set of Words of Hope, Western Seminary's joint project. And this is a picture of Ramin, a man whose face we can show you. Uh, he lives in Germany, and he's translating the lectures of Han Luen. Uh, and that part of the project is finished and so grateful. So it's good to be together today for that, but also just to say thank you for your abundant kindness to our work together. Uh, let's pray as we come to the preaching of the word. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. And I pray that it will come alive in us today, that your Holy Spirit will be present as our guide into all truth, and that the glory of the risen, reigning, and oh, soon coming Christ would be our one and only concern. In his name we pray, amen. I want to invite you today to listen uh, to these words from the book of Romans where Paul is writing to Christians who he hopes to visit soon. He's writing in this chapter, chapter 10, about his desire for the Jewish people to come to faith and something about how he understands their current uh, relationship with the gospel. He says, sisters and brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that comes from the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. 
But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. For if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth one confesses and is saved, and with the heart one believes and is justified. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his gifts on all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the one whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear unless someone preaches, and how can they preach if they are not sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So who's in? Uh, it's a question that uh, dominated a, at least a short portion of my childhood. I was raised in a small town called Oostburg, Wisconsin, most famous for being the birthplace of former Holland mayor Kurt Dykstra and former member of Pillar Church as well. Uh, in that small town, it, it was, it was uh, well, Oostburg's smaller than Zeeland. Maybe if you combine Borculo and, uh, and Drenth and Vriesland, you'd come up with the 1,602 on the census sign of my youth, large enough for four Dutch Calvinist congregations. Um, you could imagine what they were called. One was the Reformed and the other was Christian Reformed. One was Presbyterian and the other was Orthodox Presbyterian. And in the scope of evangelical theological history, the differences between us were about as minute as trying to squeeze a piece of floss between tightly packed back molars in your teeth. And yet growing up, it began to feel like there was a Grand Canyon-sized cavity between our congregations. So I, I asked one of my friends in middle school, I said, do people in your church, he went to one of the other churches, do people in your church think that people in my church are going to heaven? And he stroked the peach fuzz of his adolescent beginnings and said, well, I suppose they'd say, I think so, but I'd rather not be in your shoes when Jesus comes again. And so began this kind of question, who's in? I went off to Fuller Seminary, this place with multiple denominations, and I found more people who wondered if I was in. Baptists weren't sure if sprinkling as a baby in my life really counted. They couldn't quite wrap their minds around covenant theology. And then, and then uh, there were Pentecostals who did not think that my two or three words of Spanish counted as the gift of tongues that they saw as a sign of salvation. Of course, the shoe was on the other foot too when I met United Methodists and, and United Church of Christ people and I heard what they believed and I wondered, could they be in? Who's in? The question that still dominates so much of life, doesn't it? I'd, I'd like to come to Paul's words today and uh, just help us 
observe a few things about the reality of salvation in Jesus. Of course, it's a simple message, but I'd like to observe three things. One is the, the human tendency to complicate salvation. A, a second is the divine simplicity of salvation. And a third is the plan of salvation. It's not a complicated message, but I hope that, that we'll learn something new and hear some stories of God at work in mission along the way. But there's this human complexity that is a, it's a tendency in our understanding of salvation. Paul says uh, to the Roman Christians, he says that his heart's desire and prayer to God for his Jewish people is that they be saved. And then he bears them witness that they are, in fact, zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. They, they have a zeal for God. He's thinking perhaps of the Pharisees. Uh, he himself was a Pharisee. And, and how uh, there was a desire in them to know and obey and do the Word of God. They were establishing a righteousness of their own, and they had turned the law of God into a, a checkoff lift list, if you will. It, it, it sort of turned the law on its head. If you think about when the law was given at Mount Sinai, it was given after the people had been delivered from slavery. They were in slavery in, in Egypt, and then they were set free from that slavery by the blood of the Passover lamb. Then they were on their way to the promised land. God gave them the law at Sinai to know how to live and enjoy the freedom. It's like the catechism that so many of us grew up with, a series of questions about the human situation of guilt and condemnation, and then salvation and grace that is ours in Jesus, and then the gratitude of a life of service that follows. And, and Paul is, in essence, saying they got it wrong. They, they, they turned the law on its head and turn it into a series of do's and don'ts as if to figure out, am I really in? And I think that the Pharisees sometimes get a bad rap. That I don't think they were trying to exclude people as much as just wanting to be assured that they were in. And so they had turned it into a bit of a checkoff list, if you will. Maybe what I do with my, my full focus planner that I use, I make a list every day of the things I need to do. At the end of the day, I take 15 minutes or so and just sort of check off the things and I feel so good about myself when I check off those things, and some of you do too, I'm sure. And then even if I do something that wasn't on the list, I will write it down just so I can check it off. We're having a support group on Monday night for those who have that disease. Um, but um, that's what they were doing. They, they asked questions like, how far could I walk on the Sabbath before it counted as work? How much food preparation could I do on Sabbath before it counted as work? And, and so on and so forth for every one of the Ten Commandments. They just wanted to know, am I in? This is the, the tendency in most, um, most religions is to have sort of a checkoff list. Islam has five things. The confession of Allah, the prayer five times a day, um, fasting the month of Ramadan, make a make a, a hajj to Mecca once in your life and give 20% of your income to the poor. If you think about it, it's, as pastors, we should like that. It's half the commands and twice the tithe. It'd be a lot easier. But we all do it in our own way whenever we add something to Jesus. Jesus and. And we're living in days where it seems like we're full of Jesus and to create a new kind of gospel. Whether it's navigating the COVID pandemic or the politics of our divisive country right now. Jesus and. I don't know how you have 
been tempted to put an and and fill in the blank for what the gospel is. But the world is wanting to hear from us. What is the gospel? And we have a tendency to overcomplicate what the gospel is saying to us. Paul uh, moves on from that human tendency to complicate the gospel and reminds us again of how simple the gospel is. He, he says so clearly that the word is near you. It's in your heart and in your mouth that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. It's not complicated. It's actually really quite simple. And when he says that, that this is the simplicity of the message, he really means it. It's not Jesus and something else. It's simply Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. That's justification. That's salvation. That's all it is. It's not all these other things. And he says the word is near you. It's in your heart, in your mouth. And when scripture talks about the word of God or at the end of this text, the word of Christ, it is talking not simply about the, the ink on pages of parchment or pixels on a screen as on our smartphone app, it's fundamentally talking about a person. John chapter 1 says it so clearly, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later in chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is himself the Word of God in flesh. And he's near to us. He's not far from us. And everyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Did you notice all of the alls and the everys in this particular text? Oh, it's so beautiful. He's the end of the law for righteousness, verse 4, for everyone who believes. Verse 11, everyone who believes will not be put to shame. Verse 12, the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, certainly you can scream an amen at whatever screen you are watching right now. That's all it is. Do we believe that Jesus is enough for our world? One of the people we have the privilege of working with in Uganda is a woman named Kazia. She's on the screen right now, and, and I met Kazia for the first time last November when I was there. And Kazia, oh, there's such a great long story about how she is impacting every sector of public life. Ask me about it sometime, I'll be glad to tell you. But for the purpose of this moment, Kazia has been working in the central Buganda diocese of the Church of Uganda. Uh, a few years ago, Titus and Godfrey, who some of you know, who lead our work there, invited Kazia to, to minister in that place through a gospel radio program. And uh, she takes the, the weekly message of the church and condenses it into a gospel presentation. And then once a week, she also does a live call-in show. I don't know how many of us would, as pastors would want to do a live call-in show with real people asking real questions in real time with no way out. But she does this. And I was there, and I was listening to some of the questions that were calling in that particular day. It was so much fun. And I asked her to tell me about some of the people that have called in 
and she told me the story of a man of a Muslim background who'd called in recently. This was last fall. And, and it said, I'm a, a, I'm a Muslim, and I keep a notebook of all the Christian preachers and how they criticize Islam. And he said, I've been listening to your program for a year, and I have nothing written down for your criticisms of Islam. All you do is talk about someone named Jesus. I'd like to learn more about him. Isn't that cool? I was so proud to hear that because one of our principles is that we proclaim Christ. We're not here to proclaim against this or against that or other religions or other politicians or political entities. We preach Jesus. To whom shall we go? He alone has the words of life. She presented Jesus so beautifully that this man from a different background wanted to hear the good news of Jesus and find out who he was. And I just want to ask the church, particularly in America, do we believe that Jesus is beautiful enough and the gospel is glorious enough that it doesn't need anything else added to it? Oh, he's so beautiful. I spent a week recently on the Mississippi River enjoying flocks of pelicans and other waterfowl birds enjoying creation at sunrise and sunset. And I thought, how could anyone see this and not believe that there is a God that created the heavens and the earth? Or did you see the picture of the distant galaxies from the, from the new James Webb telescope? How incredible to see. Of course, it must lead us to worship that there is a God who created all of this beauty, and nowhere do we find anything more beautiful than in the person of Jesus and the story of the gospel. Oh, it's so good, and it's so, so simple. We have a tendency to complicate it. The gospel is oh so simple. And the plan is so plain. Peter, excuse me, Paul is, is saying, and, and these you've heard every missionary talk about, you know, how, how can they call on someone they haven't believed? How can they believe in someone they haven't heard? How can they hear unless someone preaches? How can they preach unless they're sent? In some ways, there are some people, including myself, who see Romans as a missionary letter by Paul to a church in Rome that he's going to ask in chapter 15 to send on his way to Spain. Chapter 15, he's going to say, I'm going to come to you so that you can take an offering for me and send me on my way to Spain. It's a missionary support letter in some ways, and chapter 10 is laying the groundwork for that. Paul wants them to know that people can only believe if they actually hear the gospel. One great reminder for us is that in today's world, there are about seven and a half billion people of whom two to two and a half billion might have a Romans 10 kind of faith, confess Jesus as Lord, believe God raised him from the dead. Of the remaining five billion, there's about maybe two or two and a half that, that have heard the gospel in some way and have rejected it, and the, and the remaining two and a half have never even heard in a language that they can understand. And that is the work 
that all of us are responsible for helping people to hear in a way that they can understand. The world is listening. I, I found it sort of ironic thinking about this sermon and our theme for the summer and the, the book that Pastor John asked us to read, Listening Life, and the encouragement for us to pay attention and listen. And I want to end by telling you that the world is also listening and longing for the words of life. And they're looking, I think they're looking and listening for the church to say, who is Jesus really? Um, I'll end with another story from Iran. A man on the screen in, in our worship it won't be on YouTube or on our, on, our, on our video feed because of security reasons, but it's a man named Mede who I met in February. We were in a church service that spoke the Farsi language, and again, in a secure uh, third country place. And we came to the end of the service, and we had communion like we're going to have today in a few minutes. And I noticed that he and his family, he was there with his wife, his son and daughter-in-law, had come to this conference that we were hosting, and none of them were going forward for communion, and they were weeping, and I asked him after the service what was going on in his, in his heart, and he said, well, I heard the pastor say that it, the table was open to anyone who believed and was baptized, and he said, I had not been baptized. And I asked more about his story, and he told me that 15 years earlier, he had heard a gospel message through some mediasaurus, uh, radio or television, and he had come to Christ. And then he led his wife to Christ. He led his son to Christ. And then his, his son's wife saw how his life had changed, and she became a believer because she watched his life take shape before him. And that had been 15 years earlier, and they had not been baptized or had communion or had any kind of public worship with other believers. And February of 2022 was their first moment to be with other Christians and on Sunday night, when we were having communion, he didn't partake. But Monday night, I had the privilege of baptizing him and seeing the rest of his family be baptized. Tuesday night, the closing ceremony we, uh, of the conference that we were in, we celebrated in worship together in a conference room, and we partook of the, the sign and the seal of the Lord's body and the Lord's blood broken and shed for us and the family was together at a table like this, tears streaming down their eyes and every single person in the room was full of such incredible joy. I don't know about you, but I want to be in on that kind of joy. And so I want to invite you today to put on your gospel feet and share Jesus with the world in which you find yourself. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, come, and as we come to this table, may we be people who receive the truth of Jesus in our life and go out to share it with the beautiful simplicity that Jesus is enough. In your name we pray.